This week, go to a place many wouldn't with end-of-life counsellor Leanne Den Hartog. Leanne started life as a very logic-based lady, originally trained as a librarian and had a distinguished career with the Australian Bureau of Statistics. However, it was through a chance encounter with someone who helped her to connect with her ability as a psychopomp and dealing with the passing of her own father that she began the journey as an end-of-life counsellor. As an end-of-life counsellor, Leanne holds space for those in their end of days to fully engage with what is happening. Often an isolating process as surrounding loved ones often struggle to be fully present due to their own issues with the confronting nature of somebody else's passing. The conversation highlights the need to cease sweeping death under the carpet and for better death education, to ask questions and reach our own truth so that we are more equipped to face the inevitability of death and through that experience a life of more meaning. One thing is for sure, no one knows the answer to all of this until the time comes. However, this conversation is a fantastic opportunity to engage with a lady who has gone farther than most on this journey. So enjoy, Leanne. Hello and welcome back to WA Real. I'm your host, Bryn Edwards, assisting others in the last stages of life and talking about death and education and lessons from that. Some of the things we'll be talking about with my guest today, Leanne Den Hartog. Leanne, welcome to the show. Thank you, Bryn. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. So I always like to start off by understanding people's connection with West Australia because it is called WA Real. So you were originally born in Victoria, lived in Canberra, and then came here 10 years ago. That's correct, yes. So what brought you to Western Australia? A job. <laughs> All right. What was that? It was a job with the Australian Bureau of Statistics. But right. the day I arrived, they had a job freeze, and I actually didn't get, we didn't do the paperwork, so there was no job. So you moved all the way over All the way over here at my own expense. To, and, but fortunately, they found me a job for a few weeks. And then I um, applied for a few jobs and got a job as a contractor at the State Library cataloguing the Batty Collection backlog. Right. I'm actually a librarian by um, yeah. profession. So I did that for a while and then got my perfect job here which was working as a data archivist right. for the social science data archive run out of the Australian National University, but I was the outposted officer here and did that for about three and a half years before they ran out of money. And that's when I started on this journey of um, spiritual awakening and being uh, a psychopomp right. and then it's gone from there. So you've been here for 10 years. Yeah, what almost it, 11, yeah. What is it you enjoy about living in Western Australia? Oh, it's great. It's the weather. Uh, it's, you, have, you have great weather. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's a nice-sized city. It's not too big. Melbourne, City and Brisbane are far too big. Canberra's far too small and a one-horse town, and everyone knows everyone else. Yeah. And you have a much more stressful work life. Here, things are much more laid back. Yeah. And everyone's very nice. You see yourself staying here for a while? I think so. We're not, not intending to move any, anytime soon. Superb. So um, one of the things we're going to talk about today is, is, is your focus as, focus as an end-of-life counsellor. Yeah. Um, 
So that has a lot to do with obviously the end of life, facing mortality. Where does that focus come from in Leanne's story? Okay, it comes in a couple of areas. Yeah. The first was that I discovered that I, the dead were following you around, which sounds very strange. It was the even dead strange. Were following you around. Yeah, and it was strange for me as well. And I was at the um, one of the um, expos here, and I was feeling very strange and getting stranger by the minute. I was at the um, race course. That's when they held the race course. And someone walked past me and said, do, I, do you feel funny? I said, yes. And then she described every symptom I have. And I said, and she said, I know what's going on with you. I said, what's happening? I have no idea. He said, well, you are a psychopomp. You channel the dead and they want you to help them pass over. And I looked at her and said, A psycho what? A psychopomp is its proper name. Pomp. Pomp. Very strange word. And she said, I can help you do this. Who is this person? I'm not saying. No. <laughs> um, and so I went to one of her classes and learned how to do it. And that's then I did my research. And she recommended Patrick Rodriguez in his book, The Soul Rescue Manual as one of the best books. I've read a few others, and he is definitely better. Uh, and so I started doing that. Uh, as so you said you had these symptoms. Yeah. What were they? The symptoms were you have fired very, very hard to ground. You feel as if you're a foot off the ground at all times. You have a sore neck, and you feel very vague, and often with a headache. Uh, and often you'll start seeing things and going, oh, that's really strange. And uh, and uh, there's a couple of other symptoms, but that's the main ones. And that's how I felt. And once I started doing this work, those symptoms disappeared because I was now not getting invaded by them as they tend to try and find a nice comfy home with you, which is not a good idea. Yeah. The other thing was that my father died mm. and I realised that it's very hard to talk to people who are dying about the dying process when you're very close to yes. them. You really need someone who's a third party, doesn't really know them well and is not emotionally involved in talking about what they're going through emotionally particularly uh, as well as physically. Because and they feel very alone. Because who do you talk to? And none of us were willing to talk to each other about the process. We're savouring the moments that we had together. Yeah. They're over in New South Wales, and so it wasn't too often I could see them, my parents. So um, I decided that I wouldn't mind going in that direction of being a deaf educator, and that's where that started from. I thought, if I'm dealing with the people who haven't passed over but have died, I'm also start with the people who are still living as well. And so that's right. what I did. Or well, trying to do. So explain to me about the people who passed Okay. Um, passed over. Most people have no trouble and they transition easily, but other people 
do have trouble and they more or less hang around in a sort of a no man's land and some are quite happy being there but others are quite distressed and you'll find that you get to suicides there people who've made promises that they'll stick around for someone um, or don't feel that they're worthy to transition and go to heaven they it's things are weighing them down basically and of course that's what the prayer says is that everyone is worthy of going and give all your sorrows and pains to the angels which is what happens mm. so i can talk about the process of how it happens and what i yeah. do okay uh, first of all uh you call in um protection i call in archangel michael he's he's a good nice powerful one because <laughs> you don't know what you're getting yourself into and what else is around you then call in any spirits who wish to transition to come now and we could do one if you want um let's talk about it right okay now. first okay it's not as scary as it sounds um and so you then now have their attention and you invite them to transition if they don't want to fine but if they do want to you then call in the angels of healing and the angels of transition and you invite the people who are wanting to transition to give all their with pains and sorrows is how it's put but you know, their depression any illness that they think they still have it's, mm. it's funny because you look at them they're like they were when they die and you say well actually you're fine now and they go oh and they get they all of a sudden become as they are in their prime which is actually quite funny <laughs> but that's it's because they've still got that mindset of oh it's like this and they don't often don't realize that they've, they've died so you get the angels to tell them gently that they're actually dead <laughs> yeah and you get them get them to say look if you've got any depression give it to the angels that's what they're there for they'll know what to do with it and until so you feel better and feel a lot freer etc mm. you then once they're um healed and happy you and feel that they're ready for transitioning you invite the angels of transition to bring any loved ones across to guide them through the transition Right. And that's pretty it, well it. And the last bit is that you clean up any of the energy that's left in the residue. You've got angels. They've got cleaning angels, believe it or not. <laughs> and they clean up all the... And you bring in the light and it's all happy and it's done. So, so is this something you do? Yes. Is it something you see or feel? I usually feel, occasionally see... But I usually feel them, um, and they come and find me. Why you? That's a very good question I've never quite got to the bottom of. But as the person who was trained me said, they can see you. You actually appear in the fourth dimension as well as the third dimension. And they want someone who's human to help them transition. They're ignoring all the angels who are wanting... Because angels can't, yeah, it's all free will. That's our problem. Yeah, part of it. 
as well as the, the joy of life. Um, but so they the can't. free will carries on after you. Oh, yeah. You are exactly the same as you were when you were alive. You don't change. Except? Except you just don't have a physical body. It's about the only thing you don't yeah. have. <laughs> so Which, I'm getting this picture of almost like your, um, like an archetypal film, like Ghost or something. No, like that. they're real people. They look Where exactly the same. Yeah. <laughs> Except that they don't have the physical body. They're in the next this in between so they've got still got that they speak the same they've got the same emotions so is this stuff you do of your own accord yes oh uh, yeah um i could tell them to go away but they're rather insistent <laughs> right um yeah and they usually come when i'm just trying to drop off to sleep which is really really annoying right so I said, you tell them, go away, I'll do a transition when I'm ready. I'm trying to get to sleep. You know how that feels. And I often go away and then during that day, in my own convenience, I'll do a um, transition for mm. them. And I invite anything that's around. And you can use this for all sorts of energy, like thoughts, um, anything really. Um, so fragments of energy left over from what you've been doing. Yeah. Um, mm. Yeah. So how long ago was it that this came into your life? Uh, probably uh, four, five years ago. Yeah, right. about five years ago. And how long have the symptoms been around beforehand? Probably a year before. Right. And I kept saying to my teacher, I think the dead are following me and she poo-pooed it. Who's your teacher? I'm not saying either. <laughs> and Sorry, no, as in the as teacher that helped. teacher that I had the intuitive development at the time. Yeah. And she was had never, most people start doing this work if they're going to be a medium, but she never had. Yeah. So she had never heard of this, which I thought was rather strange. Um, yeah, but usually shamans are doing it. Um, right. Yeah. And it's, it's no huge mystery. And... You are exactly the same when you die as you are now, with a much better body. Right. No more aches and pains. And you're up. You're in your prime. It sounds. It sounds very good, actually. <laughs> so, had you had before this, had you had any involvement with the dead or dying no. or death at any point during your life? Not really. A few dead animals. I get pets that die. Yeah. I found the backyard. And <laughs> you know, you have a you're trained librarian. I'm a trained you, librarian. You, you came here to do yeah. to work with the Australian Bureau of Statistics. You strike me as a, a logical person. I'm ex- I'm an extremely logical person with systems, and this was this is so far from what I was doing. It's ridiculous. It's it's the extreme opposite, uh, and that I've always had some intuition happening so So that's always been around it's always been around uh, from quite young and and what did that look and feel like oh good we used to play my sister and i used to play games where one of us go into a room touch an object walk out and say okay which object did i touch and we always got it right but we could never explain it and it's just a game Mm. uh then when i was 14 i was walking along a street and going, I was going to the library and I usually pick my usual route and I was told, don't 
don't stand in your normal corner, go the other way. And lo and behold, the corner I was, would have stood on, this car comes around and knocks over the um, telephone pole. And had I been standing there, I would not be here today. Hmm. So, yeah, intuition is worth following. This was way back when... This was way back when I was 14. In Victoria. In Victoria, yeah. So, yeah, that was a bit spooky. Yeah. (laughs) So did you make much of that? Or is it always just been a thing in your life? Okay, that was... I thought, oh, that was interesting. And, yeah, it's... In the 70s, this wasn't a huge thing except in circles which we weren't in. And my parents found it very strange and I started doing this work. Now quite doing what it. work? The death doula and yeah. intuitive work. And I am now also doing healing and learning to be a, a healer with using um, energy medicine. They found that even stranger. <laughs> yeah. So... Um with the helping people transition mm. post death, yes. come to pre death, um, so give me an idea. Is this something you do daily, or it comes to you, or yeah, for, initially it was? <laughs> yeah, initially the transitioning of people post death was daily, which is you know, <laughs> I sort of back off, guys. You know, I have a life to lead. I started doing weekly. And now I just do it every now and then when someone comes up. Um, Where was the last time? Uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, I was at someone ha- someone's house when I was literally getting tapped on the shoulder by someone. And he was very insistent. Anyway, I said, look, I'll transition you when I get home, which I did. Uh, I wasn't about to break up what was happening there to transition someone. And that's what I did. So... And I was there last on Saturday and he wasn't around, so obviously his transition. Hmm. Who did you talk to about this? How did your husband husband grasp it when you first explained He still doesn't grasp it. I finally go, oh, yeah, that's interesting. That's just what we end up. And I go, that's weird. (laughs) What about friends and family? Oh, they find it even stranger. It's only really other in um, actually the healing touch people are more open to it. Um, How do you mean the healing touch? The people I'm learning healing touch with are quite open to it because they also have the same experiences. Yeah. Um, so I say, well, you want me to transition the person? Uh, yeah. I said, no, it's it's me, Dad. I'm I'm fine. Okay. So you don't you don't force them to transition. If everyone's happy, you leave it. It's only the people who want to transition that you transition. You can't force them to do this. They might be perfectly happy being part of the family, even though they're dead. Right. Where are they transitioning to? That's a very interesting question I've never got to the bottom of. We, I assume that's what we call heaven. It's probably another dimension, and you go on with your life. And as I put in one of my uh, posts... I said, as you'll probably get time for a bit of rest and recreation, and I always think of it as probably like the best resort you've ever been to, hmm. uh, where you get a bit of rest, you get, a, you get some education, you can do all sorts of things that you enjoy doing before then transitioning on to your next life. Uh, that's when karma catches up with you. Uh, when you die, you, 
there is no karma. You have a rest and, and it's only when for your next life that karma catches up with you and they say, well, we need to work on these things. And that's what happens. So that's what karma's all about mm. is what do you need to work on? It's like a school where you can't really file, but you get a, each life's more homework and the areas that you're not, not doing well in. So, um, it's just something that's become apparent to you. It's become apparent to me that, yeah, you get to work on it. Yeah, and that, um, as, as I say, there is no judgment. That's, there is no judgment. You understood down to your very, very well. They understand you better than you understand yourself. Mm. And that anyone, everyone. They meaning. Sorry? You said they understand you. Yeah, they, whoever is. Yes. Yeah. Um, I put they as rather than saying the angels or God or, you know, it begins to get a very religious slant. Mm. Um, and they understand you very well. And so when you die, you're not there to be punished. You're there to go, let's review what's going on. And a lot of people that I transition have had a reviewed their life and got, oh, I was just horrible, the worst person, and they've taken it to heart, and that's when they've not transitioned. Right. And they get stuck. It's like the suicides. They realise the damage they've done by doing, by um, committing suicide, and, of course, they're literally heartbroken by what they've done. And it's saying, well, it's the lesson to learn for you not punishment you're punishing yourself and that's mm. what the punishment is is you punish yourself no one punishes you more than you punish yourself mm. so we could try and get sounds the sounds like the great sounds like an incredible you know review and stop take it is yeah. of, of your experience in life yeah. at that point of your death yeah, after, after when you die, you get a bit of a stock take goes on, and they, you know, you can you get a review of what what's, what what has happened and why it's happened, and then the ideas go, oh well, that was interesting, and we'll note down these things for next life, and then and that's what's supposed to happen. But the ones I get, the ones that take it to heart too much and get stuck. Get stuck. Guess what? There's help. <laughs> mm. We don't have to stay stuck in that that area. But a lot of people also, I found, I've also cleared ghosts where they've been trying to help a member of the family who's in a bad position, usually with domestic violence or alcoholism or something. Mm. Uh, and then you say to the person, you really need to take responsibility for your own actions in life. So this person can move on. Because they're still trying to protect you. They're still trying to protect the person they did in their life. After they died, they're still trying to do the same thing. And so, yeah, it's, um, I found that ghost most fascinating of a lot, actually. What was your relationship with death before this started happening? Fairly normal. <laughs> Define normal. Define normal. Because... Um, slightly because, terrified of it, actually. Yeah, because... Um, so I had a conversation with a wonderful lady 
um, not so long ago as an ICU nurse. And so she often helps people mm. to pass, in, pass a, yeah. in, in a hospital setting. And we started to have a discussion about death. This is why I was interested to talk to you today. Because I think it's a wider topic that we seem to be sweeping under the carpet. Is that and we didn't even have any appropriate adjectives. Yes. You know, good death. A I good, mean, good death. What is a good death? Is good the most appropriate adjective? And we'll, we'll come to that later mm. when we talk about death education before. But one of, one of the things I'm interested in is people's relationship with death in terms of where I got to previously was whether you believe that at the end of it, that's it. Or whether you choose to believe that once you die, then you have this reckoning and then you go on and then you, you mm. go on and on and on and learn more stuff or whether you stop. Either way, right? To, to me, it's almost like I don't, it, it doesn't matter which one you believe in, but 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 stick your colours against the mast of one yeah. and go live your life by that. Yeah. Because both have a certain sort of... Allure. (laughs) Both will have an impact on your life. Yes. Right. If you believe that this is it and that end of it, then go go get the most out of it. If you believe that you're here to learn a lesson, double down and try and work out what that lesson is so you can learn it and then you move on to the next place. And, you know, it probably may bring an amount of less stress and anxiety into your life because you're like, oh, well, I'm here to learn a lesson, then I'll go on to another lesson, right? But... Strikes me that the, I'm going to say the worst, the most unproductive or the most life distracting is not even in, engaging with that and going, death, oh shit, that's scary. Mm. I'll push it away. I'll kick it down the road. I'll get stay nice and comfortable where I am because I'm all good. And then I'll go off. And that abdication of any thought or engagement with death can have quite an impact and it's a theory I'm testing at the moment I'm playing with uh, for myself but um, that's why I was interested to ask you know what was your relationship with death before this started happening what's been your relationship since then okay um, my relationship was the normal relationship of oh shit uh, this is going to happen uh, but let's hope it's not for a long time. Yeah. Let's just forget about yeah, it. Yeah, ignore it for now. Ignore it for now. It's, you know. And then, of course, everyone, every time someone dies in the family, up it comes again. And you go, yeah. oh, a model. <laughs> and then, yes, it's getting closer. Um, and then after this happened, well, I'm thinking, well, actually, it's only part of life. You, it's, I can guarantee you'll die at yeah. some stage. In some way. Of all the things. Yeah. Um, it's like death, and, as I say, death and taxes. You, know, you guarantee both of those. And you, we really have to face up to it. But it's also the last bit of our maturing is to face up to death. You've been through a lot of transa- trans- transitions through your life. You know, you've gone from being a baby to a toddler. Uh, and, you, and then there was puberty then you were in a relationship and then you had kids and all the rest of that and get a job lose a job it's all transitions buy a house sell a house or whatever 
So you've been through lots and lots of transitions in your life, and a lot of them are big. Now, again, having kids, it's probably one of the biggest ones you'll ever do. People say, oh, it's fine. <laughs> no, it's not. And that's like that. It's your last transition for this life. And, but people tend to sweep it in the cover saying, no, no, it's, it's not happening. Even on the death part, they'll deny it's happening, which I think is very sad. But it has lessons for us on the way we live. Thinking, well, we really need to own up to it. And, of course, you must remember before the 20th century, you saw a lot of death. You saw a lot of you know, half the children died before they were five. People, you would have had two or three wives or husbands in your lifetime mm. as they died. Uh, I used, used to think that my grandmother having two husbands was unusual, but no, that was that's very, very common for the 19th century. And that these days we assume we're all going to die in our beds of old age, uh, whereas we, we used to desire, die of disease and accident a lot more than mm. we do now. And um, so you saw a lot more, and it was it was such a big occasion. You know, Victorian um, funerals were amazingly you know, extravagant. Mm. Um, now it's, it seems we they are oh, well. We had to bury your cremate so and so, and it seems to be a lot less of a significant event. Mm. And oh, we don't buffet. celebrate it. <laughs> <laughs> we're black. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So. And so we tend to almost sweep the carpet by even not celebrating their life the way we used to. Mm. So I think we've got to own up that, yes, this is part of life and we are going to be sad he's gone, but he's gone to a better place, um, which we'll all wind up in. And it's, I think it's one of those things that we've all got to face up to. Mm. And we tend not to. That's why I started being a death educator, particularly for people. And, we, and having the anxiety about it is extremely real. And I think denying it makes it worse. And it's mm. time to start saying, yeah, this is part of my life. This will happen. I'll make plans for it. Yes. And I'll get used Nicola to the idea. The Nicola, the ICU nurse, was on the business end of... Yes. ...where people have not got plans Plants. in place or not talked it through. Yes. And, no, do you want to be revived? No, do, no, do you want CPR? Do you have an, uh, the advanced care directives in place? And I'll try to do one myself. And that's really hard. Is it thinking, well, I'm not too sure how it was going to happen to me and I don't really know. Do, do I want to be revived at the moment? Yes, please. Um, and do I want to be fed if I can't be um, by other means rather than the mouth, if I can't mm. swallow? I'm thinking, probably not. But then again, I might survive this. And it's you really need to talk to someone who knows what they're doing, and that's not me. But, yeah, it's, it's mm. an interesting and difficult topic talk about but worth it everyone needs a will uh, and they need it properly done not just the newspaper one but uh, they need to talk to someone about their assets and everything 
and who should and shouldn't get stuff and for yeah. reasons. Um, yeah, and also declutter, please, <laughs> before you die. That's the biggest thing: is leaving your um, uh, your nearest and dearest to dispose of your stuff. It's extremely difficult at the time you died. Mm. So usually all the wine's up the tip because they can't face the sorting out. So, yeah, I'm guilty as anyone of collecting stuff. Yeah, it's, but it's difficult. We all like our having lots of things around. It's reasonably cheap. But it mm. has a. But as you get older, you realise that someone's going to have to do it for you. You might as well do it yourself. Yeah. So tell me about the end-of-life counselling. So your introduction to all of this okay. was almost working post-death. When did you decide to start focusing? Pre-death. I think after my father died and I realised just how hard it was to talk about death with someone you are very close to. In fact, it's impossible. Hmm. You ask them how they're feeling and of course they say, oh, right, of course they're dying. <laughs> hmm. And of course they're not willing to say, so your dad, burden you with it. So your father was on a... He was, steady decline. he was on a fairly steady decline with several types of cancer, heart disease, osteoporosis. He was not a well man, but very cheerful. Now, was this happening similar sort of time as when you first got introduced? Yes, it was happening a similar sort of time, um, which was interesting. And... Um, Yes, it was happening all at the same time as me doing intuitive development and really recognising that the dead were following around and yeah, and then I had to go and look after my parents who weren't coping and I've seen the results of the denial of no one copes with this. It's, it is the elephant, or I say the coffin in the room that no one wants to acknowledge yeah. that yes, he's dying, you're stressed because he's dying, he's stressed because... Your stress <laughs> becomes a vicious a circle. Conversation happening, and he just wants to have. I can imagine a sense of assistance to accept it, as well as a touch of normality, because yeah. you are still alive. That's right. You're still alive. You're still living life. You live life until the last. Yeah. Mm. I think these people say, "Oh, I'm dying." Well, yeah, it might be all. But thinking, well, you should be if you can live life. If you're really ill, no. I saw someone yesterday, I uh, went to uh, Clara's Cancer Care and saw some ward who was dying and getting fairly close and did some healing on her. Yes, she wasn't in touch with what was happening in the world. Uh, but if she's still in touch with what's happening in the world, live life. Yeah. You're not dead yet. <laughs> That's what, how I put it. Mm. If you're very ill, yes, uh, you're going to find it difficult, but you will have moments when you're feeling better. And that's when palliative care comes in and keep you as comfortable as possible so that you can get do things, uh, that you can go out and live a life to some extent. Mm. And, yeah, um, it, it, life is for living. It's not, yeah. it's not about worrying about what's about going to happen. It'll take care of itself. Yeah. Yeah. But of course, we're. A bit like giving birth to a child. Yes. It's going to happen. It's exactly the same. And your body's been doing it for yeah. thousands and thousands of years. But there's always a first time for you, which is. Yeah, you know, I know. your body has all the history. <laughs> has all the history, but you don't know this, so the brain kicks in. And bodies 
your genetic has a history of yeah, yeah. dying. You have a history of dying and you, you do get the anxiety and you start that at about your teenage years as you realise that you are mortal. Yeah. <laughs> you then spend a few years denying it. Sweeping. <laughs> Sweeping on the carpet and acting as if you're bulletproof. Which, you know, that's what happens with them. <laughs> it's part of fun life. It's all part of fun life. You know, you wind yeah. up in hospital. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's... And I think as we get older, we, we lose that, oh, it's that's going to live life. But at the same time, you have to realise that, yes, it will happen. You have to face it. You have to ask questions about it and come to terms of what it really means for you mm. because it's going to be different for every person. Um, depending on where you are in life and how you view the world and death. And it's all part and parcel of life. And once you get past that, you actually live a better life. And that's why people are saying, who say that they've already died and come back saying, it's nothing, it's nothing. <laughs> and often live better lives because they're not, no longer anxious about it, mm. uh, which I think is really interesting. And I say, look, it's... Don't worry about it. It's it, I no longer fear death. Is what they say. It's not something to be feared, um, but it's to be accepted, and you don't rush towards it. And but you are here to live life mm. to its fullest, whatever that means to you. So you had this experience with your, with your own father's passing. Mm. When did you make the decision? Join the dots that you'd like to have actually play a role with other people? I think six months after he passed away, I thought about, well, if that's what it's like for us, there must be lots of families experiencing the same thing, that you really can't talk to them about this difficult topic because we keep sweeping under the carpet. We don't want to acknowledge that they're even dying. And neither you want to have the conversation because it'll spoil what time you've got and you want to be happy moments, particularly when you only see them mm. once or twice a year. And so you really need someone who can guide people through this conversation. It's very difficult and bring out what emotions are there because we actually grieve our own death before we die, I think. Unless if it's we do sudden, that. If we have the opportunity. Yes. Um, and I think that's what you recognise is that you'll go through the same stages of grief for your own death. Now, first one will be shock. You've been given a diagnosis which is a terminal illness. You're going to be in shock. You can't believe what just heard. And then you go through denial and all the rest of it. And you can go around it a couple of times. You can mix up the... You don't go step by step. It all gets jumbled depending on where you are, what's happening with other people. You're just seeing other friends die. Etc. Particularly if you're in a dying of cancer or some other disease, where you're in a help group, you'll mm. see other people dying of the disease, and that triggers you to go to a circle over again. But I think being able to talk about to someone is a good idea, and someone who's not emotionally involved with you, so that there's no emotional connection, close connection. Now there's emotional connection, but it doesn't trigger the other person the same way as if they're close yes. relative or friend. Because or... I can see now, talking to you, how people get so, the word that comes to mind is bundled up. Mm. 
because you've got this thing that's happened to you you want to talk to someone yes you as, a, as is often the case you want to talk to those nearest dearest to you yeah but they By can't the very do very nature of talking about it, you trigger them up. Oh, that's right. And they all bundled up as well. And all yeah. go, it all literally ends in tears. Uh, yeah. And you, then it got guilt on top of it all. <laughs> yeah. Whereas you've got no, some, Doesn't that make for a good day? Oh, yeah. It makes, it's, it makes it extremely difficult. And family, the relationship becomes more complex and complicated and horrible. And fractious. And, fractious and, and, oh, it's just horrible. Whereas if you've got someone who comes, steps in as a death education or a death doula and says, let's talk about it, how are you feeling now? And yeah. then you discuss how you're feeling and you develop trust with them. Mm. You also, also might want to discuss, well, what, what legacy am I leaving to my family? And just make, we can work on that. You also will be talking, I'll be talking to you about, well, do you have a will? Is it up to date? Is a what read it through and see if it's what you want want. So you really need to start this early, not a you know, on your deathbed, and then say, Well, you need to talk to your doctor about your advanced care plan and get that put in place and have a copy on your fridge that says the ambulance is taking you, you grab the get them to grab the copy off the fridge, and it comes with you to hospital, as you'll get in hospital a few times usually these days. Mm. Um, and then Look at what you got. What do you, and start paring down your stuff, if you can. Mm. Some people can't, but I think it's a good idea to start thinking about it. Yeah. Uh, and who do you want to leave what to, or can, is it an issue to you at mm. all? Um, but that then saves people from after you died having to go through all your stuff and deciding what to do with it. Um, I think that's always. A, it's a nice thing to do for your family is go out with as little stuff as possible, but you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, but also with legacies in place of even just talking about your life. And you can offer that service, Brin, so it'd be good. Yes. Uh, and do you have any handcrafts you want to pass on, um, hobbies, you know, all the things that might mean, have meaning have meaning to you that you want to pass on to others and mm. hopefully it'll have meaning to them. But it is a difficult topic to talk to people about, but it needs to be done, I think, for a good death so that you get, well, everything's in place, I can relax, I can get on with the process of living before I die, knowing that on my death things will flow, that mm. it's all taken care of. And you can plan your own uh, funeral. You don't have to have a funeral. Uh, it's not actually a requirement. You can just have a burial or a cremation. If that, and they can have a memorial if they want. It's, it's these days, families are so scattered throughout the world mm. uh, that it's hard to get people together on short notice. So you can have a memorial after you, <laughs> you get everyone together rather than having a funeral. Where did you learn this stuff? Is it? From your father's experience, or did you go and train as well? I did some training with um, Felicity Warner in England by correspondence, and you go through all the stuff. You also go through what's available in Western Australia, and particularly in Perth, uh, from the usual, like um, what the cemetery requirements are. You, paperwork takes three days. How do you mean? If from the time you die to the time they'll take your body is at the minimum three days. 
So if you want a 24-hour funeral, like some religions stipulate, they won't do it. It'll take three days to get through the paperwork. Yeah. And that's where you need a funeral director to get guide you through a mountain of paperwork that goes in that is involved with if someone dies. It's just extraordinary. <laughs> uh, the funniest thing was uh, what to do if you want to be buried at sea. You have to get a dumping permit. Right. <laughs> right. And it's uh, you got to be um, buried 30 kilometres or more away from the coast and not in the shipping lanes. So, yeah, it's quite interesting. And you have to get the permit before you die, more or less, and have it there. This might take a while to get done. And need a ship, well, a boat with a, a captain who's willing to take you. <laughs> wow. Well, not, not easy, not easy, apparently. But it is possible. It just needs a lot of planning hmm. uh, to do. Um, but yes, most people get buried or cremated. So your service as an end-of-life counsellor, is it providing that administrative guidance as well as the listening and the steering through? Yes, it can. Um, probably not with the will, which is a legal document, yeah, yeah. or the advanced care plan. But it's plan. Admi- administrative but in terms administrative... of these are the things you need to have in yes. place and these are the places you need to go. That's right. I can uh, I, I can do that. That's what I finally... Uh, services I offer is that I can guide you through what things you will need um, and this is where you need to go mm. um, and it's a fairly long list uh, it's in fact terrifyingly long list <laughs> and things that you might have I think, want to consider yeah that's our auntie that's our dog yeah um so, yeah, it's actually quite complex, and that's why you usually have a funeral director to, to guide you through that. Yes. But I can help you a little bit with it. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah, and then you can decide what you want to do, uh, cremation or burial, or one of the weirder things, like so cryogenics. I don't think they offer it here, though. Just, right. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't find anything here for cryogenics, which I find is just slightly weird. When you freeze, you, you all of you or part of you, usually your head. Mm. Um, I'm hoping that millennia you'll be revived, which I find interesting thought. Um, so how much is there a link between the stuff you're now doing pre-death and the stuff you also do post-death? That's a big link. I think a lot of people die terrified and they remain terrified because they think they're going to be judged. They've got so much stuff still rutting around their heads because you've still got all those thoughts with you. They don't go away. If you're dying, um, they come with you. Uh, so if you haven't resolved those things, it's hard to resolve them after except by talking to the angels again and clear it. Mm. So if I can help in any way of people to resolve some of those issues and probably not get rid of the fear. I don't think that's almost impossible, but at least calm you down a bit and realise that it's not going to be as bad as you thought it was. And yes, there is life after death, or if you believe that there's no life of death, that's fine. You'd say, well, you had a good life. 
that's all you can do. And so therefore there's nothing. And if that's terrifying to you, maybe you need to rethink it. Mm. Some people that's quite comforting, not to have anything there. But I think being able to talk about these things and resolve in your head what the issues are and what your beliefs are is helpful after you've died because you'll have a better death if there's such a thing. Mm. But if you find that you're terrified and this is just a horrible thing and this can happen, there is comfort in that this, these issues will resolve after you died. It's you, you are continuing, as far as I'm concerned. There's no abrupt end. You go from being in the three dimensions into something else. You don't have your body, but you've got everything else with you. And so that you've still got your thoughts. You've mm. still got your personality. And if you like to drink, it's still there. Um, and you can continue your life, and some actually do in this space. They continue their life, literally, in a very strange space rather than transitioning. But that's not helpful. You're supposed to transition. Um, that you continue on. Um, so there's no abrupt end. You don't become an angel and all you know, spiritual. You're actually exactly the same as you were, with the same sort of language you used. And, uh, and if you're a nice person, you stay the nice person. If you weren't, you stay the way, the way you were. But... You are yourself. Mm. Is that mm. asking a question, Ben? Or yeah, I, as I was um, listening to you, I can see how that almost calming pre-death mm. is helpful. Yeah, or at least resolving some of the issues that are rattling around your head is helpful. It's like. <laughs> If we go back to childbirth, knowing what you're in for is quite helpful to know first off because your mind says, oh, yes, this is what I'm doing. The process might not be pleasant, but you know that it will have an end mm. to it. <laughs> yes. And you don't get quite as caught up in what's that the fear of it as you would have. Yeah, I think that mm. I think there's a lot of actually parallels between giving birth and death, um, surprisingly enough. And yes, both are both are terrifying for the first timers. Of course, you do. You don't have two deaths, hopefully. Um, well, some people do, but um, yeah. And knowing that it's it's okay, it's part of life. And it's look, you're going to the best resort ever when you die. It should be a good way of putting it. <laughs> mm. um, again, how do other people react to this? Uh, they sort of raise an eyebrow and say, yeah. well, I don't need it. And that's, I think, sad because we all need it. We're all going to have to face it sometime in our lives. Um, and we say, oh, well, I'll be 90 or 100. Well, that's not, not necessarily. Um, at the Slaras Cancer Care, I'm seeing people with uh, women with breast cancer in their 20s or brain cancer in their 20s and 30s mm. I'm also seeing the elderly as well but I, you seem to get people young you get all, all stages of life and they're looking at you know well this could be the end of me I might yeah, there's always a hope that you'll be cured mm. but not necessarily uh, you might actually wind up dying from it 
So I think it's really worthwhile thinking about the whole thing uh, and having that service available to everyone mm. when they feel they need it. Um, and I think we don't, never know when we're going to have that accident, so we definitely need a will. Advanced care planning would be good because you wind mm. up in hospital and they say, well, do you want to be revived? They can't ask you when you're revived if you're unconscious. Yeah. Uh, and people have had things tattooed on their chest, <laughs> etc. But that's not yeah. a legal document. They yeah. Can't, yeah. And I guess there's a that's a, once you have the unfortunate diagnosis or something like that. But there's this phase even before, well mm. before that, just in in part of being the gen, genuinely functioning adult that you engage with this at some point. That's right. And then revisit it periodically. You, re- with, you I think you. Engage with initially about puberty, and usually it's what triggers is, is someone dying close mm. to you, and yeah. then you realise that death is a real thing. As I think before that, as a children don't engage with it, uh, they had relatives, or sorry, uh, friends in the street. The dog died. Yeah. The parents were devastated. The kids said, "Oh yeah, the dog died." They were matter of, very matter of fact. It didn't mean anything to them, whereas mm. the parents were distraught. Mind you, they had the dog longer than the kids, but it was a much-loved dog. Uh, yeah. And the kids could un- I couldn't understand why the parents were upset. Oh, yes, the dog died. But once you get to your teenage years, it begins to have a lot more, become a lot more real. Yeah. And that's when you need it. Uh, particularly if you've got friends who are, uh, got terminal illnesses, and that can happen. Um, my daughter, uh, her best friend, died of... Um, Lung cancer, never smoked in her, when she was 23. Mm. After five years of, no, she was diagnosed at 18. And, and of course, didn't believe that she could possibly have lung cancer and left it. And, and yeah, so that is the danger. It's, we are in such denial that if a doctor says to us, you have this problem and it could kill you, and they're saying, it's, you're wrong, you're wrong, I can't have it. But, of course, you have it. Hmm. And then and they seek second opinion and say, oh, I probably got it wrong. But, no, you really do have it. So you've got to face up that, yes, this could kill me. Yeah. And let's do something about it early. Um, so it does run to that. And then, of course, this will trigger with all their friends that, oh, yes, you can die. You can die young. And same with car accidents that are fatal car accidents and other accidents. Now, there's lots of opportunities that trigger us all through mm. life. Mm. And that's when you need a death educator to talk about how you feel about it. Mm. Now, what are, what are you ex- actually experiencing? What is what, what do you find the most terrifying about it? And then we'll start looking at that and seeing why you find it terrifying. Now, I think it's because we deny as a society that death exists. Mm. Um, but... We've got evidence all around us at all times of the ways of dying, yet on TV you see no crime shows, murder shows are popular, so popular, but it doesn't give you the emotional impact that a real death has. And we find it entertaining without the emotion, which is interesting, including me. It is, actually. I haven't really thought about that. <laughs> yeah, I love prime yeah. shows. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Entertaining. Yeah, me. the body on the slab. <laughs> the mm. autopsy. They go, oh, yeah, interesting. He died of this. You know, it's it's the science and the 
but it it's doesn't... a tricky one though engaging with the whole concept but then you know like i'm making like i've been uh, announcing to the world i'd like i'm gonna start a business to do legacy interviews yes and before i did before i did that i went out and tested it yeah so i i was put in touch with two ladies who had stage four breast cancer and they were no longer with us. And we sat for five, five and a half hours and talked about their lives, what they'd learned, mm. all of this and that, and you know, different parts of their lives and what they'd learned, and and then bigger parts, you know, like friends, relationships, love, money, yeah. work, death, things like that, and. And also, I had a friend who kind of worked out what I was testing at the time and asked me to go and interview his father. I did that. And so he's still alive, but he felt like he wanted somebody else to go and get And I remember after the first interview I did with the first lady with with breast cancer, and my mother rang me up afterwards and said, how was it, Bryn? You know, you feel all exhausted and stuff like that. And far from. It was the most life-effacing thing I've ever done. Yeah. I was I was just buzzed with life. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Like, yes, that's right. Was this facing death is actually life affirming. Yeah, life affirming, that's what It's quite interesting that once you've faced it, you lead a better life because there's no fear anymore. Yeah. And that's the... Oh, it's a bit of respect. There's a lot more respect for everything. The, these flowers are brighter and smell sweeter. The, you're far more into life than you were before mm. because you realise that it's going to be taken away from you at some stage. Probably we go to a better place, but let's enjoy the third dimension. Yeah. <laughs> There's just lots here to offer. Yeah. You enjoy the, the breeze, or the case today, the wind, you, you, the um, jacaranda and the colour of the jacaranda, and enjoy people more and all their relationships. Life becomes sweeter, not worse. Mm. And so by not facing death, we're actually not living life fully, I think. And it's a, that it is a hard thing to do. As I say, it's the... It's the last bit of maturity we have is to face our own death or face death in general and then face our own death. And it's the thing we don't do well. Yeah. Because society has told us that death doesn't exist and you... But it does. It's brushed it on the carpet. Like it's brushed on the carpet. It'll go away. No, it doesn't. And then we are faced with it and it becomes just a huge shock. What? I'm going to die. No one told me. Hang on. (laughs) Um, But if you say, well, look, we're here for a short time. Let's enjoy it. Let's realise that relationships are what makes life and everything about life and really get on with living rather than worrying about dying or worrying about what happens after. Uh, it's it's really what hap- what we're doing now. It's it's the school of life. It literally mm. is the school of life. Yes, you make mistakes. Yes, we all make mistakes. Realize that we're all human. You'll make mistakes, and that God's not going to punish you for these mistakes, but they will have impact down the track. But that's not fun. You try and be the best you can be, 
and respect people and respect the world. And I think we'd have a better life if we faced up to death. Hmm. What have you learned about yourself in this journey? That's interesting. <coughs> um, what I've learned is that fear is not thing we, we, should, we have to face up to our fears. And that's lots of fears. And that our fears can actually destroy our lives. But by saying, okay, I'm going to face you, and you realise that what you thought was a huge thing is actually tiny. You're seeing the shadow rather than the real thing. Hmm. And so once you face the real thing, you go, well, that's not so bad. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds quite good. <laughs> yeah. um, and I think that's a lot of us, particularly churches, get us to fear death. It's all about punishment. Hmm. It's all about you are a sinner and you're not worthy and that's not what this is all about. Hmm. Uh, they're actually some taking do, us on Some the don't. Some do, some don't. Um, but I definitely. had a conversation with a lovely Baptist pastor. <laughs> they're gorgeous Baptists. Yeah. <laughs> but if you think of the Roman Catholic and Church of England and Nining Church, it's all about unworthy sinners, etc. So if, you're thinking, well... Surely I must eventually not become a sinner, but that's not what they're there for. And you're thinking, well, that's not what death's all about. It's not, I have sinned, therefore I am not worthy. It's not what that hmm. is all about. You are very worthy. Yeah. You issue all make mistakes, some big, some small, some you'd rather not think about. Um, but you also have done a lot of good things as well. And it's about the whole mix of life. And what you learn from it. It's the lessons learned from that life at the end rather mm. than you what you did wrong. That you carry over. So, yeah, yeah. So, which I found interesting. Well, getting this picture of, you know, you, you, could, you have these lessons from life and the experience you've had and you carry them over and you put them into, into a bank of actual experience. Yes, you do. You, put them, you add it to your bank of experience. Mm. And, of course, and the collective bank. And a collective bank at that. And you, the questions you've got to ask yourself, well, what did it teach me? Hmm. Not, did I do the right thing? You'll, you'll do that anyway. Hmm. Most, well, most people do. But what did this teach me? And you, often the lessons will come out that you, what you'll, you'll find more about yourself as well as the other people and relationships and the way the world works. Hmm. And... You've got to decide what you want to do with that information about yourself. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. What do the next uh, three to five years look like for yourself? Um, well, I definitely going to get my death educator business going. Uh, and I'll also start my, finish my course in healing touch energy medicine and get that going and probably combine the two. They're mm. actually quite compatible and also do some work on people who are not dying, which would be nice, um, and just live life and uh, enjoy the family and all that brings and, uh, and, and friends and all the rest of it and hopefully all here in Perth that you never know. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, um, it's, I'm looking forward to it, actually. Superb. Um, what's Leanne grateful for? I'm grateful for life. I do my gratitudes every day and it's the little things that mm. I'm usually most grateful for. Um, it's um, grateful for an opportunity to talk about 
this. It is people. It's hard to get a platform to talk about it. Yeah. Uh, and you know, living in a house, living in Perth, there's <laughs> lots of things. Yeah. Yeah. So I think we've all got to be grateful. Count our, uh, do our gratitude count every day of things like if it's a really bad day, well, I'm still breathing. <laughs> I got food on the table and it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. Could might be for a really bad day or... Oh, yes, the beach was fabulous and I enjoyed the, the yeah. lunch out and you know, yeah. all those sorts of things. So, yeah. Super. And the last question I always ask my guests is um, if you could upload a little nugget of information into the collective consciousness, so everybody's got it, what would that be? Ah, good question. There's so much. Uh, I think the nugget I'd say is live your life. Stop worrying. Life will work out. And life's lessons are what you're meant to be here for. Mm. So live life. Outstanding. Yeah, it's been absolutely amazing talking to you today. Um, I'm going to now, I'm going to sort of conclude the podcast. I'm going to now take you up on your offer of uh, helping transition someone across if that's all right that's fine yeah yeah um we can do that this only so. takes about a few minutes yeah it's actually very quick yeah so and you don't have to be a holiday now for this one anyone can do this um just because i think it's actually a prayer okay we're going to ask archangel michael and his band of mercy to be a present and to guard Anyone here, Bryn, myself, my husband, my dogs, anyone else near the house. I ask for the healing angels and angels transition to please come now and be present for all the spirits we are calling here now. I invite any spirits that would like help in transitioning and are ready to transition to please come now. I ask that all the earthbound spirits here be told in a way that they can understand that their physical bodies are no longer in existence, but they continue to exist. I ask that you, they be told in a way that they can understand that they are worthy and deserving of going to the light, and there is no judgment waiting for them except that which they put on themselves. I ask that they be helped now to release any judgment on themselves and allow the angels to take away the hurt, guilt, and judgments. I further ask the angels to please heal each one of any past residues from their death so that they need not experience any symptoms in any future life. I ask that the angels please heal any aches and sorrows they may have, and I invite all you spirits to let you go of your hurts, depression, or any other pains to the angels. I now invite all the spirits here to forgive those that they feel they need to forgive from any hurt in the past. Allow the angels to help you with whoever needs to be forgiven so that they can easily move on. I now call upon the angels of transition and transitioned loved ones to lovingly come for all those spirits here and escort them to the light. 
Thank you. Angels, I ask now that you please remove any residues left by any of the spirits from this space and from myself and anyone listening. And, all, and thank you. Amen. Thank you very much. Then. My pleasure, friend. If people want to find you, if they want to find me, I'm on Facebook, uh, Leanne Den Hartog, uh, End of Life Counselor, and just look me up, and I'll be there, and it has all my details. Super. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you.